We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Maricela. Welcome everybody, Steve with Sense of Adelium. Coming at you on the, what day is today? The 19th of May, 2020 with Dr. Winnie Hartstrong. Dr. Winnie, how you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start out with a little an ave for us. For Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. And the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You threw me a curveball. I didn't know you knew the Latin part. I, I should have asked yeah, you that over yeah. the camera. I know. Well, I wanted to sing the Pater Noster because this is where my heart is. I think after this shutdown, as faithful Catholics, we should be heading toward Rome. We should be heading back to what it is we are as Roman Catholics. So if you don't mind. Go ahead. I would sing, when you sing, you that. pray twice. Go, let's see, let's <laughs> hear you. Amen. Amen. Pater Noster qui es in celis, sanctificetum nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Anem nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et debita nobis demita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nostra malo. Amen. And that's our show, guys. Everyone can vote for doctor now. There's, I think, there I think you go. We're all done here. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should have asked you that before. I didn't know you was going to throw the land back at me. I'm going, wow, okay, here, here's so-called trad guy over here doing English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what, Steve? I'm so glad that I found you. I was telling you in our little private chat that I am a sort of bona fide candidate for Congress. I am a perennial candidate. I ran last cycle, um, but I'm so new to social media. So when I finally got on Twitter and I saw all these fun Catholic pages, I was like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, of course I'm going to like that page, and I'm going to like Church Militant and all these cool people that I had seen on the news. And here I am seeing their Twitter handles, and I was going crazy. So your page was one of the pages that I liked. And I am so glad that you reached back out and we've had a 
a friendly chat back and forth, and I'm happy to finally talk to your audience. Now, like I said, I didn't think you would respond back one, and now I'm looking for all the guys that are not in on, on how I would do it. I look and see, I get the alerts, and I say, who's following me? Like, 21 people just follow. It's amazing how Twitter is way more popular than Facebook, basically, because the algorithms. And uh, Twitter's blown exactly. up to me since I started it. And I get these, you know, the kicker from Kansas City. He's a lot of, I remember telling my bud, Jonathan, hey, check this out. <laughs> I had an NFL guy. And then two months later, another NFL guy. The then uh, somebody, I think it was Miss New York, someone in the fitness pageant. And then you popped on and said, Dr. Winnie Hartstrong for Congress going, I got a congresswoman trying to follow that. Well, that's that's infiltration. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. We're going to win. I'm going to be a congresswoman, and I'm going to be your friend. How about that? There you go, all three. <laughs> now, instead of me sending up random things to the president, like a rosary and miraculous mails, I can just send it to you, and you can hand it out. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Steve. So tell us about yourself. Uh, who is Dr. Sure, Winnie? Sure. Thank you, Steve. I'm so happy to be able to share who I am. You may have heard of me in 2018, actually. I'll start from there, and then I'll go back as needed or come forward as needed. So in 2018, I was a graduate student at the University of Maryland working on my PhD in communication, and that was the summer of shame, isn't mm -hmm. it? The summer when the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report was released, and here I am, trying to raise my faithful Catholic family and also finish my PhD. It seems but like I was years so, ago too right now, huh? I know, it does. That was the beginning, I think, of my interest in what I call Catholic activism. Mm -hmm. I was so upset, I was so frustrated that it boiled down to Cardinal World, who was my archbishop at the time, being a, a source of cover-up for clergy abuse. So what I did was using my standing then, in addition to being a mom, being a grad student, I was also running for Maryland State Delegate, so basically Maryland State's lower house. Mm -hmm. And I had um, used that platform to start a petition to Pope Francis to remove Cardinal World because I thought, you know what, if he was part of the abuse in any way or part of the cover-up in any way, he needs to step down. And we thought he would do that. But then all we got from Rome was a praise letter singing Cardinal World's praises and talking about how we all make mistakes. And a few people, <laughs> a few buddies of mine and, and I said, no, that wasn't a mistake. That was a serious lapse of judgment. And the appropriate thing to do would be to say, I stepped down, especially seeing as uh, it was clear that the, the seat was sort of handed off from Cardinal McCarrick down to Archbishop Wuerl, Cardinal Wuerl now. So I started that petition on change.org, and at that time I had a different last name. My husband's name is Obike, and it's a, an African name, and Obike translates to Heartstrong. So as we were mulling my political career, if you want to call it that, and just the ease in which you can say hard, strong, but not OBK. So we decided that it would be better for me to translate it to English. So this is a very new name, but a very the very same person. And so if you want to look up some more of, of my Catholic activism, you can look under the name Winnie OBK, because Winnie Hartstrong is about a few months old. 
But anyway, so when you began, that's me and uh, Donna Bethel and a few other people, Linda Guraj. Uh, Donna Bethel is a former member of the board of Christendom University. Linda Guraj is a medical doctor in Pennsylvania. So a few intellectuals and I, at that time I was a baby intellectual, you know, not quite a PhD yet, but a graduate student. We decided that we would form a group called Catholic Laity for Orthodox Bishops and Reform. And it's acronym is C-L-O-B-R, clubber. <laughs> so what we want to do is gently clubber the hierarchy to cause them to do the right thing. Because apparently when you talk nicely to them, when you write letters, they don't respond. So we were there to clubber Archbishop Pierre at the Vatican Embassy in Washington, D.C. to get him to tell Pope Francis to remove Cardinal World. <laughs> I got so many mafia jokes in the back of my head right now. It's it's just <laughs> I'm glad. Are we following so far? Are we on to something? <laughs> oh, so <laughs> are you guys for hire? Is that what you're saying? So here I am in twenty eighteen. We formed this group and we continue to talk to the hierarchy, make sure that we uh, are in front of the Vatican Embassy, um, asking questions, trying to get an audience with Archbishop here, and he wouldn't even talk to us. So uh, as that is happening, mainstream media is picking up on this message where um, there is something like a, a clergy scandal that's breaking again. I mean, 2004 wasn't enough. Now we have a 2018 scandal. And people are looking for representatives from the church to talk to the press. Well, the church is not ready to talk at that point, but there are people like me, what I call Catholic activists. We're ready to talk, and we have a lot to say. So I started, yeah, with our club, right? So I started talking to everyone. I talked to Breitbart. I talked to Baltimore Sun. I talked to the local Fox in Washington, D.C., and they were all shocked that, we have this amount of uh, credible information and abuse and a direct link to Cardinal World with his name being mentioned about 52 times in that document and yet silence from the Vatican. So this is how I got my start in Catholic activism. Fast forwarding to the year 2020, so my husband was a student at Catholic University of America in D.C., and so he was in school in D.C. I was in school in Maryland. We both graduated last year in 2019. So we decided that being on the East Coast wasn't working for our family. We needed somewhere stable and uh, Midwestern <laughs> to raise our family. And here we are in the state of Missouri. And I'm just so thrilled to be in a place where I know there's hope in the sense that we can change the the culture of our politics but there's also hope in the church um there are considerably fewer clergy abuse scandals here mm-hmm. a lot of the clergy who were accused have since passed away yeah every time i get close to dc i feel like i need to take a gasoline shower so i know i feel what you i know what you're talking about <laughs> yes yes can you say more about that a shower why uh, every time I get close to D.C., I feel like, you know, close to Mordor on the Potomac or the belly of the beast. Sorry if there's any fans in D.C. I I wouldn't live there if you paid me. But just, oh, I know. <laughs> I know. So, it is a very special place. It's just 
I, I went there for school. Mm -hmm. I got my degree. I got good connections to good people. And last year, it was time to leave. Yeah. So in between election cycles, I literally run a race for state rep in Maryland in 2018. And here I am in 2020 running for Congress to represent the great state of Missouri, but especially the beautiful city of St. Louis. And what, I mean, what was it? What, what got you to do that? I mean, I think I saw on your website, you, you were in DC in 2009. Yeah, I, in 2009, I was an intern. I worked for a pro-life Democrat. I worked for representative Daniel Lipinski. Okay. And this was a congressional scholarship that I had won through lots of hard work and an essay and, you know, a blood sample, you know, the, the whole nine yards, <laughs> like submit your whole life for review and then you can get to go to D.C. So that's what I did. I submitted my whole life for review. I was chosen out of uh, a whole pool. Three students were chosen and I got to work with my hero. I consider him a hero because in the climate that we had in 09, Obama had just won in 08. Mm -hmm. It was starting to become difficult to be a pro-life Democrat. But Daniel Lipinski did it. Any bill that would come to his desk, it would first be read for whether or not it agreed with life. After that, then it would be read for, do I agree with the administration on this or not? Mm -hmm. In fact, one of my fondest memories at that time, Rahm Emanuel was the White House Chief of Staff. And here I am sitting, you know, all you do really as an intern, all you can do is answer the phones and do it well and make sure you don't make any mistakes. So I'm answering the phone and I said, hello, the Congressman Lipinski's office. And on the other end, I hear, well, this is Rami Manuel. Can I speak to the Congressman? And I'm like, oh, Rami Manuel's on the phone. Who do I give this to, you know? So this was, these were the kinds of calls that came in. And what was happening that was the cap-and-trade legislation. Mm -hmm. um, Rahm Emanuel was calling to whip up votes for a very terrible bill where you would basically issue out carbon credits to companies that are polluters, whether they're manufacturing companies, car manufacturers, uh, food you know, processors, whatever kind of business that polluted, you would issue a carbon credits to them. And if you don't pollute up to a certain level of carbon you can trade the excess you know trade within the industry so basically it's like a, a you create a whole new trading environment based on carbon a gas in the atmosphere like <laughs> i thought wall street was crazy enough where we're trading like fantasy money fantasy currencies of uh with fake digits you know but now we're going to trade carbon so that was an interesting experience and I, I learned a lot. I think the other really high-profile phone call was a Joe Biden phone, phone call, again, trying to whip up the cap-and-trade vote from Representative Lipinski, but I didn't get that phone call. Some other person did. So anyway, so yeah, Lipinski was pro-life, but unfortunately, March 17th this year, March 17th, 2020, was the uh, primary in the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. And for a couple of cycles now, uh, Justice Democrats, Emily's List, Planned Parenthood, these are some of the big donors of the left wing of the Democrat Party, mm -hmm. have been trying to get rid of Daniel Lipinski at the primary stage. He won by a hair's breadth in 2018, 
against a lady named Marie Newman. And Marie Newman is like the the far left checklist. She's far left, crazy, pro-abort, and she's been funded by these groups. Again, Justice Democrats, Emily's List, and Planned Parenthood. She didn't win in 2018. Lipinski squeaked by, mm -hmm. but this year he lost his primary. With the loss of Lipinski, there are now zero, or going to be in the next session, zero pro-life Democrats. So folks, if you're within the sound of my voice and you're a Democrat and you are considering what to do in the 2020 election, but you're a pro-life Catholic, you need to think really hard about what it is your party is saying to you. I was a Democrat. I left the party. And because the party started to say to me, you don't belong. Pete Buttigieg says, you know, you don't belong in the party. Mm -hmm. uh, Bernie Sanders says there's no room for pro-lifers in the Democrat party. So what are you still doing? What, are, what, are, what do you think is going to happen? You think they're suddenly going to make room for you? No, what you need to do like my hero, another one of them, Phyllis Schlafly would say, is pick a party and get involved. If you've picked the Democrat Party, then don't just sit on your hands and think someone's going to come along and fix it for you. You need to get involved at the local level and, and start saying, hey, Planned Parenthood doesn't speak for me. AOC doesn't speak for me. I want my party back. Or you join a party that's already doing that already speaking for those who cannot speak, already speaking for the unborn. And that's the Republican Party. That's what I've done, and it's working out for me. It's amazing how they just went pedal to the metal, basically, on all the immoral stances. Not saying the GOP is perfect. Everyone knows this. But good night. These guys are just out there just... They're not even scared anymore. They're just throwing it out there. They want more double down, double down, and... It's yeah. I, I don't know how anybody there's I've seen a couple of Twitter Catholic professionals say, you know, you can be a good Catholic and vote them right Democrat right now going, uh I don't know what moral theology you're looking at, but that's that's yeah. <laughs> uh check uh you can't do that right now. It's just right off the first, exactly. the first step. You can't go can't even get to step two. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really interesting you mentioned moral theologians because that's where I wanted to go next. You know, I sort of wear many hats. Like I said, I started this group, Clubber, Catholic Laity for Orthodox Bishops and Reform. And I wear my mom hat. I have three small children, Michael, Raphael, and Gabriella, my archangels. <laughs> and then I also have um, this political uh, calling. I call it a calling. It's a vocation. I serve by running. Mm -hmm. And... One of the places where I'm feeling a move of the Holy Spirit is in terms of uh, where, where, where religion, especially our Catholic faith, where faith and politics meet. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been reading a book on Fatima. I wanted to sort of give you a few quotes from this book, mm -hmm. especially in regards to what we're calling professional Catholic Twitterati, right? AMI Press, Washington, New Jersey. This is an old book. You know, like when you go through the church pews and there are these, like, you know, people who have passed away and their family doesn't know what to do with their books yeah, and they yeah. just put them in the, you know. Anyway, so this is one of the older Fatima books and this is from, I believe, 19, 1979. But I want to read what 
uh, Dominican priest says about whether or not we can trust the revelation from Fatima, because these same professional theologians who tell us that we can vote Democrat and it's okay, your conscience, your choice, whatever, are the same people who will look at approved apparitions like the Fatima apparitions and say, uh, that's up to you. You don't have to believe Fatima as an article of faith. Uh, so there's a bit of inconsistency. So here's what Father says. Yeah, go for it. And he's writing, yeah, in 1963, this is Father William Heinbush, mm -hmm. OP, meaning a Dominican priest, and he says, uh, there are other things besides the solemn teaching authority of the church that bind a person to accept something. A creature endowed with reason is obliged by his own intelligence to bow to evidence when it is present. To resist evidence is obstinately anti-intellectual. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, when reliable witnesses testify to an event or a fact which seems incontrovertible, a reasonable man must give assent. So if you're reasonable, you must give assent at some point that the Fatima apparitions make sense and that Democrats are horrible on life issues. Mm -hmm. Just reasonableness would tell you that. To say he may refuse assent without blame is a questionable position. When a person of such outstanding authority as the late Pope Pius XII says, the time for doubting Fatima is past, it is now time for action, then reasonable men must stop and question whether good evidence offered by reliable witnesses is behind the conviction. For a Catholic to deliberately close his mind to such a statement can hardly be without blame. If the evidence guaranteeing the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima is examined with an open mind, the conclusion is reached that these apparitions can be accepted reasonably. A reasonable man accepts the evidence of reliable witnesses. When he refuses to do so, he does violence to his own reason. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of points I want to harp on here. The, the fact that when you resist reason and you resist witnesses who are credible, you're being anti-intellectual. Mm -hmm. And the second fact here is that you are doing violence to reason. And I think that's what we're facing in our politics today, a spirit of emotional emotionalism, basically the worship of emotion, mm -hmm. where it's like, I, my truth is my truth. You know, speak your truth. And that emotion prevents us from saying, you know, no, it's not your body, your choice, especially on the pro-life argument, because it's not just your body it's no longer just your body if a new body is created and for you to deny that a whole new set of arms and legs a whole new set of eyes and ears is something apart from you that's for the woman to deny that or for the scientific community to deny that is anti-intellectual you're not being reasonable you're causing people to do violence to their reason and we see that also in the transgender argument talk about violence the act of violently cutting off body parts that god has gifted with you with at birth 
that is a violence to reason and is, it's anti-intellectual and it's a violence to your actual body. We are parts of the same body, St. Paul tells us, and we are individually part of it. Uh, and we are made in God's image and likeness. So not only are you doing a violence to yourself, you are almost violently hurting God. You are violently, you know, cutting off his arm, cutting off his breasts or his, you know, private parts, whatever part you choose to cut off. Um, so, so again, I, I hope that people who are listening to me will consider, you know, who are the witnesses right now? Are they credible? Father Heinbush is saying that you ought to listen to credible men and women, and if they give you reasons to believe, reasons to agree with the position, then you should not violate your own reason. Do not do violence to it. Don't be anti-intellectual. Follow the road of reason wherever it leads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truth is conforming your mind to reality. What got you so, how would you say, fervor on the abortion and pro-life and the sanctity of marriage issues in general. It's obviously you're Catholic, so, well, should be obvious. Yeah. That part, but, yeah. yeah. Well, Steve, that's a great question. I will share my answer by going back to my parents because my parents are immigrants. Mm -hmm. I was born in the state of Minnesota. My father was an intelligence officer for a country in Africa that shall be unnamed for safety reasons. But anyway, so my father had access to foreign travel. So growing up in West Africa, uh, after, after my birth in Minnesota, my parents decided that they would have me grow up in West Africa with my siblings. And so we've had this modern immigration journey where you basically have one foot on either continent at all times. It's pretty complex. I feel like, you know, immigrants in the 17, 18, 1900s had it easier because you sort of just left and that was it. No going back. You're not but jumping with back the on that ship. <laughs> exactly. You don't even want to go back. What a long, torturous journey. But now with airplanes that can take you to and fro in less than five hours, well, my family has done it all. So I was in sixth grade in Minnesota and then back to, you know, West Africa. So I've really been back and forth, born in Minnesota, you know, grew up in West Africa. But anyway, my Catholicism is really universal in the sense that I have experienced what it means to be Catholic in the global South. And it is a very deeply... Um, you can call it charismatic Catholicism, but yet very traditional. Mm -hmm. I had never seen someone who was not a priest d distribute Holy Communion until I, you know, came back to the U.S. as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, I had never seen people stand to receive Holy Communion until I returned to Northern Illinois for my undergrad. Mm -hmm. I had never seen, I mean, we had Reverend Sisters distribute Communion, but they were consecrated, and so that made it sort of easier to, you know, accept. But we had a Norvus Ordo practice in West Africa that was very, very traditional and respectful, but yet very charismatic. So I call consider myself a tradismatic. And as a mother, I will tell you, there is no greater act of humility and childlikeness than to feed your child. My kids do it all the time. Hey, mommy, I want a cookie. 
and I give it to them in their hand and they're like, no, put it in my mouth. I want you to put the cookie in my mouth, <laughs> you know? And there's a love there. There is a sense of, I'm the mother, you're the child. I, I feel fed by you. Mm -hmm. And aren't we all children of God? And isn't the church our mother? And aren't the priests basically father and mother to us? So why this rebellion in the West when it comes to receiving Jesus? Why are we so, why are we so stubborn and obstinate and proud? You know, who do we think we are? And that's where it starts, right? It starts with my African Catholic roots. And then on top of that, I had a big moment when I was about 18. I was actually an accountant uh, by training at that point, I guess. An accounting student, I should say, not an accountant. And uh, I had done my, you know, first internship you know these accountant students if you're hearing me you know what i'm talking about you have to get like so many internships so that you can get your first offer and then you take the cpa exam but anyway i had gotten an internship with kpmg in washington dc and i had a few uh interesting clients that i was helping my boss work on and i think that summer i went home and my mom sat me down and she said you know when I was pregnant with you, I really didn't want to have that baby. I didn't want to go through with that pregnancy. And I had scheduled an abortion. I had actually planned to go through with it. And your aunt and I, we made it to the abortion clinic. But she said somehow, you know, the ultrasound machine was right there. And I asked if I could see the ultrasound. I knew it was a baby, she said. I asked if I could see the image. And... The abortionist said, yeah, because, you know, at that point in Minnesota or at that point in the pro-life, in the pro-choice movement in the 80s, I was born in 89. Mm -hmm. There wasn't this, uh, there was true informed consent. There wasn't this pressure for you to abort at all costs. It was really an informed choice. Mm -hmm. So at the end, we get the pro-choice. Give the woman the choice between life and death. So my mother was given the choice, and part of that informed choice, informed consent, was the ability to view the ultrasound image of me in the womb. And she said when she saw that image, I, the baby, me, was waving her little fingers and wiggling her little toes. And she jumped for dear life. She flew off the examination table, ran out the door, and never looked back. <laughs> So here I am today, saved from an abortion, because women, my mom, was given a true, informed choice. She was given the choice to choose life or choose death. So that's where the passion for life comes from. And in addition to my upbringing in, in the African Catholic Church, that's where my passion for liturgical reform comes from. Yeah, I guess that would make me passionate too if I had that story as well. <laughs> wow, uh, I don't even almost went. I'm basically thinking. I wonder how do you respond to that when you were sitting at that table? Don't even, don't even worry about it. I'm going, it's just me thinking. I'm then going. Well, uh, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, how I responded. You respond in many ways. First of all, I was like, first of all, why are you telling me this? Secondly, I go into my little private space. And it sparks a whole come to Jesus moment for which I 
graciously thank Mother Angelica wherever she is right now. I just thank her because I was confused, I was angry, and I would just listen to Mother on EWTN. And that, that's when I started uh, more intensely growing in my faith because it was a crisis of faith too. I had been a Democrat at that point. I had been sort of like, oh, whatever. If the woman wants to choose, she can choose whatever she wants. And, but I had always had the voice of Mother Church behind me saying, this is wrong. We need to, yes, vote your conscience like these bad theologians have been telling us, confusing people. Vote your conscience. You can vote for a Democrat if you want. You know, just like examine your conscience. And, but, you know, abortion is still wrong. So I was getting mixed messages mm -hmm. and also dealing with my own wounds. But I, at the end of the day, after engaging more in my faith through the resources online with EWTN, I decided that I needed to investigate the Republican Party. And I had always been involved in sort of extracurricular activities that were geared toward politics. Mm -hmm. Even as an accounting student, I was a debater. So I was in a debate team. And that's where I got this like wishy-washy pro-choice uh, pro kind of attitude because all the kids on debate team were so leftist, even at that point. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it was extra confusing because my, my peers basically were in with the times and I wasn't. I wasn't completely, which is why I could reverse course after doing some examination of conscience. So I went back to campus after that internship in DC and I changed my major. I'm like, that's it. If I have to defend life, if I almost wasn't born, then most definitely my life is for a mission because I'm alive for a purpose. And if I have to have a mission to defend life eventually, I need to get training. So I needed to learn how to write the essays. I needed to learn to speak well, which I was already doing on my debate team. But I wanted to do more because all the kids on debate were all poli-sci majors. Mm -hmm. I was already the odd one out as an accounting major. So it just made sense. I went back to campus, changed majors, graduated in poli-sci in 2010. And my debate coach is like, hey, if you coach debate, you can get a master's for free. I got the master's in communication and coached debate for two years. Mm -hmm and then went out to University of Maryland and got the PhD. And part of the reason why I wanted to be super credentialed and become an academic uh, was because I saw what happened to Sarah Palin in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. She was insulted. She was derided first for being uh, conservative and then for being a mom of five. And then just on and on and on. I was like, heck, no, that will never happen to me <laughs> before I dare step out into the political arena. I better get credentialed up. This is absolutely no fun. I don't know if you remember that interview with Katie Couric. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. Where she was trying to articulate her ideas about foreign policy and uh, the war was really hot at that point, the war in Iraq. And Katie just made a fool of Sarah Palin. I said, no way, Jose. I am not going to be that woman. Even though I admired Sarah, I had been to a few of her rallies. This is after McCain and her had lost. Mm -hmm. She started to do these tours, which were 
the precursor, if you like, to the MAGA rallies. Mm -hmm. Sarah Palin packed arenas. And at this point, I was in Illinois. So we were seeing her in Chicago packing the house. And so I said, there's something here. There's something about being a conservative American that is uh, the next wave, talking about a red wave coming, that is where I need to be. And I'm going to stick it out. So I stuck it out through the Obama years, being in the minority Having Romney lose that 2012 election, I stuck it out and I said, there is something happening here that's, from what I'm seeing, basically in the undercurrents of the Tea Party movement of 2010 and all other movements at that time, I said, something's coming. And I'm glad I did because now we can see that Trump has basically put his finger on that pulse and he has galvanized a whole movement of people who consider themselves MAGA people, right? Make America Great Again people. And what is MAGA really? It's just a cute symbol or cute acronym for what we all want. We all want the church to be great again. We all want our country to be great again. And we all want, you know, wherever it is. You, you, you're you in a marriage? Well, you want your marriage to be great again. We all want greatness. And he has tapped into that like no one else has. And that's why I'm running, actually, in this election cycle in a very blue district in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is as blue as it gets. The incumbent there has been in office for 20 years, and his father was in office in the same position for 30 years. So it's a 50-year incumbency in the same family. But you know what? I saw it in 08, or, or sorry, 2010 with the Tea Party. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it now. I saw it in 2016. There is something happening in the American psyche. We are waking up to these two issues, again, that Father Heinbush mentioned, the anti-intellectualism of the left, the left that claims to be pro-science and pro-reason or whatever they claim to be is actually anti-intellectual because they buck reason at every turn. They refuse to act on the facts. They, they obfuscate. They, they make up new terms, social distancing. What is that? I studied communication not once in our textbooks did I ever see or hear those terms. Social to means to be in a group, to be together, distancing. It means to be apart. How do you put those two set, those two words together yeah. and construct a new reality? I mean, talk about anti-intellectual. And the same group of people who are doing violence to reason. Yeah. Steve, I could say more, but I'll, I'll just... I could, we could go on for eight hours on just that topic, and I, then I'd get kicked off YouTube and... Uh, <laughs> Just like a couple other guys I follow. Oh um, boy! Yeah, when you brought the Sarah Palin thing, I just—I how many of those that are on that line of thinking think that she actually said, "I can see Russia from my house." We came from a Saturday Night Live skit, and these people take as reality. He talks about you. These are the same people who think there's 53 genders or 54, or whatever the heck it is, and. Now you got yeah social gender uh, distancing. I saw a post today about a big six foot inner tube around somebody's waist and in China they got a, a two meter hat or something like that uh, well as, as one priest friend of mine says when you get in a sick society you're going to have irrational things go on 
Amen. Amen. That's right. We are in the age of anti-intellectualism, the age of irrationality, Mm -hmm. an anti-reason age. We don't reason anymore. We just emote, emote, emote. And we don't even like people who reason with us. If you start reasoning with us, you are the enemy. Trump tries to reason with us and say, hey, there's a medicine that can help you. Even if you contract this virus, it's hydroxychloroquine, and people are like, no, too reasonable, stop it. You know? The lady, Sheila Atkinson, just posted a thing. She was, she's was she got her own YouTube channel called Full Measure. I think she was kicked off CBS for daring the quote, uh, daring the question of vaccine stuff, or she yeah. did an article, she did a report on that with, uh, uh, anyway, you can see it on the, Full measure. You type in full measure on YouTube. She okay. just did one on the H word. Oh <laughs> Trying boy. to keep Google off my back. Oh, and, the uh, H word. It talked about you know how the other side is just as big farmer wanting the expensive thing. They're gonna make. They don't. They're not gonna make any money off hydroxychloroquine because it's cheap and generic. It is. It is. Uh, I, I mean, as a child growing up in West Africa. I often got malaria, and malaria is so easy to be transmitted. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a mosquito. Okay. Can you go tell your daddy? Tell your daddy. Um, so malaria is easy to be transmitted because it's a mosquito, right? And it bites you and, you know. But anyway, so one of the cures is that drug. Mm-hmm. You take that drug, and yes, it does cause hives and itching. But then you take Benadryl and you feel better. Um, so I didn't know that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's that's the part that's getting people a bit spooked. The idea that there are reactions, just like any drug. Yeah. Right. You, you so watch not, TV, you see all the these might cause. Exactly. <laughs> and they list some horrifying things. <laughs> exactly, and then at the end it says death. Yeah. <laughs> You're dancing, you see this guy dancing around a field with a puppy and flowers coming out of the sky in the background. May cause anal leakage, heartburn. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Where's the happiness? Exactly. Well, that that's what we're up to uh, up with, you know, up against here with HCQ. It does cause some rashes and itching and hives, um, but that that's not deadly. But the coronavirus is. But anyway, Steve, I wanted to get to just where we are i I know that you are a traditional man and hopefully encouraging others to explore what it means to attend the traditional latin mass and my thoughts on it are that the the church the norvus order church i call it the church of nice is really leading us off the cliff if we are at a point where reason is no longer reasonable in the public sphere one of the few places where we should be able to go to get reason and truth and beauty and God without filter, without emotion, even though I, you know, there's a place for praise and worship and that's good, but it has to be balanced with reason as well. Mm. Should be at the mass, should be at church. You know, I, I just very recently got convicted, my husband and I, about how we worship God at the mass. And we decided to join a traditional Latin Mass parish in St. Louis. We attend St. Francis de Sales Oratory. I would have bet the card that you were going to say uh, St. Francis de Sales there. It's a beautiful parish. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you been there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only t- only parish I've been in St. Louis for Mass. I've been there four times now. 
Um, oh, nice! I'm trying to get. I'm trying to talk to the uh, one of the parish uh, priests to uh, do a uh, podcast on uh, the Von Day and Blessed Pierre no- uh, Noel, Noel Pinot, uh, Von Day martyr. Yeah. You're trying to talk to one of the priests at the oratory to do that. Uh-huh. Trying to get. We're trying to schedule that. He's a uh, says his French is a little uh, strong. So. Yes, yes, that's a uh, Canon Pierre Dumont. Yep, that, yeah. Yes, yes. So when we moved to St. Louis, he blessed our house, and then we sat down and talked about Notre Dame and how Notre Dame was on fire. And you know, who knows? Maybe Macron set it up. <laughs> maybe Macron set it on fire. <laughs> Isn't it so interesting? You know, talking about that, we have entered an era where everything is questionable now. Mm-hmm. You know. The clergy is questionable. The Pope always, it's one of those that was the word conspiracy realist is the yes. exact is the real word to say instead of the conspiracy theory thing that yes. people use just as like the kind of like a race car just to shut up the conversation. Exactly. Exactly. So, no, we have to. Think, you were also mentioning something that made me think of Fulton Sheen's uh, uh, great piece, the failure of argumenting. Uh, how we how we don't know how to argument argue anymore. And he goes, yes. it's a great write-up if you have never read that. Oh, I, I can't put my finger on exactly which quote that would be, but I think it's everything we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Just the breakdown um, of reason. This is not what we base universal faith on, friends. Our church is four things. It's one, holy, Catholic, it's apostolic. You know, your arguments should be based on some sort of logic or reason about how the universal church can administer the sacraments to the people of God. If you're going to create a a separate set of rules for the Amazonia, well, then let's just create a separate liturgy for every, every nation in Africa. I mean, we all speak different kinds of languages. We all have different ways of eating and dressing and speaking. And the pride of man is very much alive, such that if I hear... Uh, Ghanaian speaking, I feel, oh, I am a proud Cameroonian. I'm much better than that Ghanaian, you know. And when you hear your African priest, you know, preaching the homily, you're like, oh, his accent sucks, you know. (laughs) But this is not the church. This is not what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to come to worship God as equals, as equals. Our mother tongue is Latin. We speak it in the liturgy. Or more appropriately, we listen and hear the priest speak it on our behalf in the liturgy of the Mass. And when we come together, we should all be able to say, Ave Maria, gracia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu. There is no, there's no pride there, right? I'm, you're not some superior Westerner. I'm not a, you know, braggadazio African. There's nothing that is separating us. We are speaking one unified language. And we are praying to God together. Yeah. So if, we, if we're if we going to pray like Jesus prayed, that, Father, they may be one as you and I are one, we need to start with ourselves. And I think this further departure from what it means to be a Roman Catholic now with the way that Holy Communion is being distributed only in the hand, only in some diocese, that is a huge departure, a huge shift from our Roman identity. We need to get back to what it means to be Roman Catholics 
that is i won't tell you the worst ideas that are coming out of germany I, we won't if we get on that we won't even be on the topic <laughs> please please tell me steve i've been campaigning so hard i don't even know where we're at right uh, now it's it's there's there was a couple uh proposals about communion in the uh, in the back you could grab it on your way out or you could bring it up and hold it while he's doing a consecration because you know it's a germ and we're all afraid of getting the cold now and so yeah, you could come oh, up to the altar no, and grab no, it no. afterwards. So yeah, there's no. just, there's just some loony things that it makes. I not put not saying the communion hand thing's good, but there's some stuff going on that makes that look and <laughs> looks that makes that look better. <laughs> just going, exactly, which is hard but to I, do. <laughs> precisely, but I think what's coming, knowing that the enemies of the church are not asleep, and knowing that Fatima is correct which is that there will be corruption at the highest levels of every leadership institution, at the highest levels of the church, at the highest levels of government, there's going to be corruption. I think in this age, more than ever, those of us who are traditional Catholics need to double down. You need to start inviting friends to join you to go to Mass. Mm -hmm. You need to start talking more about why we receive Jesus on our knees and in our mouth. In a, as a sign of humility, as a sign of a, a recognition of who we receive, not not what, who, whom, rather, whom we receive. We receive Christ, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. That is whom we receive. So we can't get further away from I, I'm just wondering what the next abuse will be, because it's already sort of really abusive and you know, I don't want to say the S word. I don't want to trigger anyone, really. But I, you I triggered think triggered everybody thirty minutes ago when you brought up the Obama years. So I know, I know. I, I, I know think there's people. I just got some text saying that you know I heard Obama somewhere. I don't know where that came from, but I think I'm going to the doctor's office. <laughs> oh, I like that. Let's say we have pandemic 2.0. Like Bill Gates brings up something else on us. You in know, September. in November, right? November 2020. September 2020, October surprise, yeah. right? So what is the next thing that we are ready to negotiate on? If we're going to negotiate and, and give away our respectful receiving of Jesus, what what next are we willing to, to take? Are we, are we willing to not attend Mass for months and end? Are we willing to have our churches closed? Are we willing to have to always register before you attend Mass, like they're saying now, and, and have your... Uh, con your, your basically contact who you are, be traced? Are you willing to be surveilled by the state now um, because of some virus? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm getting way, way down the rabbit hole. That's, what I'm trying to say is that, that we... Book, uh, yeah, the, uh, oh, my bud, uh, Alan Finister and uh, Father Crean just put out, uh, I can't think of the title, it's in the other room on top of the, the hole, I'm starting to read it. But it talks about how the inverse the church was about the state and matters of this thing and then during the french revolution time it got flip-flopped so now the state is over the church that's where we get all these problems because it used to be the church on the state what's up how oh, this is where we're going to do things working in unison to combine but now it's the state telling the church and we're dropping the knee which is unreal that you know but you know when we talked off camera i mean you didn't hear the podcast i did on telling people hey you need virtuous men women running for office to or if we're going to complain about things do yep. something about it 
That's why I ran in 2010 was I didn't want my son to look at me and say, what did you do? I just complained on Facebook all day long. I like that. At least ran. I gave it a shot. Now I just moved back in the area. So we thought about doing it again, but yeah, we need, you can't just sit there and watch TV. You got to get in the game, put some skin in this thing. And that's the game we're playing. Yes. We rather have monarchy and a holy saintly king, but we don't have that. This is the game we got right now. Amen. This is what we have. And my good friend, Bill Federer, William Federer, who wrote a book, Who is King in America? Mm-hmm. You are king. I am king. We are all king in America. Right? It, this isn't some system where you wait for some knight in shining armor to come save you from a tyrant or some Robin Hood figure. We need to save ourselves by saving the republic. And I, I think... I don't know how um, <laughs> steadfast your audience is, but I think we may have talked their ears out. So I just wanted to put out just five calls to action, five things that people can help me with mm-hmm. if they it. are so inclined. So first, I know that many more people, as they hear my voice and hear my passion, will want to know who I am. So I'm asking for someone who is tech-savvy enough to create a Wikipedia page <laughs> to please do so. And if you need any bits and details filled in, just email me. My email is winniehardstrong at gmail.com. And then secondly, will you please pray for me? Mm-hmm. I actually started a sign-up genius with a 54-day slot to get people to do a 54-day novena alongside me. So I pray all 54 days, but then people sign up to join me for two days or three days. So if you would like to pray for me and make it sort of official, Will you please email me again to get my uh, Sign Up Genius link and share it with your friends and family. The third request, I am new to Twitter, like I mentioned to Steve, and I, I, I guess it's a thing now where you say, oh, please follow me, and yeah. what is it? Is it like you build an army, this idea of begging people to follow you? I never really asked. I think uh, I just put some memes up, and then obviously I shared the links, and people, other it's you tag other things in it it just keeps going and going so people eventually find you okay all right well i guess i'm gonna do the begging thing and say please follow me my twitter handle is at real dr winnie at r-e-a-l-d-r-w-i-n-n-i-e and on facebook my facebook page is dr winnie hartstrong for congress and then if you have not been so hit by this fake pandemic Please donate money if you can. <laughs> donate money at our website, winningheartstruck.vote. And finally, please share with your friends and family about my candidacy, that the fact that there's a traditional Catholic who's running for Congress, the fact that there's a woman out there who whose heart is completely, totally, totus tuus, totally yours, God, but also totally for the unborn and a former Democrat, and a black woman, and, you know, all the greatest things in the world, because I'm so humble. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I can't, I don't know the movie, it comes in, a friend of mine, Mike Church, runs the clip every so often, and it's this lady's going, the perfect man would be so humble that he doesn't even know it's humble, and the guy goes, well, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that's awesome. So yeah, yeah not yeah. too many. Uh, I don't think there's too many. Uh, uh, I would say politic, uh, polit- uh, politician interviews that led off with the uh, the Ave, and then sung the Pater, 
I know. <laughs> talked about Fatima. So check, know, out, check out her website. What's the website again? WinnieHartstrong.vote. V-O-T-E. Not .com. .vote. And one of the things that really caught my eye was, I mean, I'm scanning everything going, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, you sided with Tulsi on there. I'm going, oh, wow. She, <laughs> I know, on, I know. on that, if you guys got to go to the site to see what I'm talking about, she was yeah. with a bunch of other guys. We were talking, uh, friends of mine were going, she's the only Democrat we could vote for, but we can't vote for her. Exactly, <laughs> she's so terrible exactly. and everything else, but she's great on that topic. And I saw her going, she knows what she's talking about there. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. This is this is a professional campaign, folks. This ain't Sarah Palin's uh, 08 run. I decided years ago I will never be that laughing stock. So I am very learned up. I'm very, you know, as they say, adjudicated. I'm actually a little too much, so I need to, you know, dial it down sometimes. <laughs> so my husband tells me, but yes, we are in it to win it, and we are gathering an army. I think the Lord's army is going to be raised up. Well, I sent you the book, but I'll try to. I'll send you a prayer card of Garcia for you. Totally appreciate it. I looked him up, and apparently he's a very saintly former president of Ecuador, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He's a he. He's somebody that every politician should pretty much emulate. This, I mean, solid. I mean, incredible. Oh. Get get the book I, I sent you on that. It's the best book on in English because the better books are in Spanish. Best book on him ever. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Steve. I look forward to being, you know, the greatest thing ever. How about that? The greatest Catholic politician ever. <laughs> so I'll read up on the greatest, you know, before the greatest. <laughs> Doctor Winnie, it's great. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Okay, you're welcome, Steve. God bless you. Good Should night, we night. end the closing prayer till we're, you know, all spirit away? Sure thing. Let's go, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Glory, Patri, Filio, Spiritus Sancti. Secretariat in principio, et nuke et semper, secula seculorum. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Love you, brother. God bless. Take care. See you around. Okay.